You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. British police think ISIS not-so-lone wolves may have been howling over WhatsApp. WikiLeaks is still disgruntled over its disclosure offer's cool reception. March Madness is also fishing season. How and why online gamers cheat. Gift Ghostbot drains gift card balances. States mull next steps after the America's job link breach. CrowdStrike walks back some claims in its Ukrainian artillery hacking report, but insists the hack was real and that signs point to Fancy Bear. April 7th marks two deadlines for cyber actions. Observers hope for two fizzles. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, March 27, 2017. After the attacks in London, ISIS makes large-scale and predictable use of online video as recruiting and inspiration tools. British police investigate the possibility that a cell which may have supported the attacker made use of encrypted messaging apps. The authorities have one man still in custody who they believe was in communication with the attacker by WhatsApp. It's worth noting in this context, as so often with ISIS, that the sense in which an attacker is a lone wolf is often attenuated. At the very least, they're responding to recruitment and inspiration, even if there's no immediately directing command and control. The Westminster attack may have involved some coordination with at least one collaborator, and perhaps with a larger organization. WikiLeaks continues, largely in vain, to persuade tech vendors they ought to play ball in remediating the vulnerabilities suggested by the Vault 7 leaks. Consensus now seems to run toward Apple's early conclusion. The zero days alluded to in the files are old news, for the most part patched long ago. Zscaler and others warn of a spike in March Madness-themed phishing. March Madness is shorthand for the annual U.S. University basketball playoffs, much followed by gamblers, enthusiasts, and Subway alumni. Not that any of you would do this, but some people actually bet money on these teams. Shocking, we know. Shocking, too, is the sheer amount of cheating that goes on with online gaming, even when it doesn't involve gambling, as any parent of a child who's been booted out of Pokemon Go for downloading a teleportation app can tell you. The video game industry is big business, with about $91 billion in revenue in 2016. A fast-growing piece of that pie is eSports, where gamers compete for prizes and glory, and there's a growing audience of spectators who like to watch them play. All this activity is attracting investors, TV executives, and advertisers, but it also attracts cheaters. Sarah Needleman is a tech writer for the Wall Street Journal, and her recent article outlines the challenges video game companies face. Players are looking to get an edge by using unapproved software and exploiting bugs to win at competitions. It's a problem for the industry because right now esports is a rising area, and uh, when there's rampant cheating, it affects the integrity of games, and people lose interest in playing them and, and lose interest in watching them. So uh, companies are going out of their way to stop or at least fight cheating because it's actually impossible to stop it outright. Uh, but they're working really hard to minimize it as much as possible. You know, one of the things that struck me in your article was um, how, how much third-party help there is on both sides of this. I mean, there are companies who are selling the cheats, and there are companies who are uh, helping the, the game manufacturers try to fight the cheats. 
the ones that are selling the cheese, I, I don't know if I would call them companies in the traditional sense. I think um, a lot of these are individuals that are coming up with it and selling it online. In some foreign countries, they are setting up businesses. But I, I think for the most part, it's individuals who are very tech-savvy, who come up with these cheat codes and then uh, sell them online to uh, like an underground network of players that are um, you know, very tech-savvy and very interested in getting an edge. I mean, what you're doing is using um, software so that every time you fire your weapon, for example, you have perfect aim or you can see through walls. It's not like a, a one-time movement where you you know skip ahead of a level. This is affecting the entire gameplay. And we're also talking about games that are played competitively. You know, you're not playing by yourself in your basement. You are playing online against other people. In some cases, part of a, a tournament and you're trying to win prize money. The landscape is a little bit different than it used to be when uh, back in the day. One of the things that struck me, I was surprised to to find out the scale that this was running at. That we're not just talking about a handful of people who are cheating at these games. Right. Um, for example, with Ubisoft's uh, Tom Clancy's The Division, that game has been about for about a year, and the company has banned something like 40,000 players from it. In the first week that Overwatch was out, the Activision Blizzard game, they also um, banned thousands of players. These games have several millions of players overall. So it, it is still a small percentage that, that is getting banned, but it is definitely higher than you might think. It's a constant battle. Um, one person put it to me as, a, as an arms race, and that it's impossible to make it impossible to cheat. So they're constantly working to stop the problem. That's Sarah Needleman from the Wall Street Journal. If you're using gift cards online, beware. Distill Networks warns businesses and consumers of a threat to gift cards. Gift Ghostbot uses nearly 1,000 infected sites to inspect and drain gift cards of their balances. The U.S. state of Vermont, at least, is contemplating legal action against America's job link for what appears to be its loss of significant personal information belonging to job seekers. Nine other states were also affected. One of them was Maine, which was using JobLink to help process unemployment claims. We heard from Ebba Blitz, CEO of encryption-as-a-service firm AlertSec, who sees the case as another unfortunate reminder of the seriousness of third-party risk. He thinks New York State's recent adoption of more stringent cybersecurity regulations may provide other states with a model for third-party compliance. We also heard about New York's new requirements from Brad Keller, who directs third-party strategy at the New Jersey-based security company Prevalent. While much of what New York now requires has already been recognized as best practice, the regulations go farther in requiring companies licensed for banking, insurance, or financial services to maintain comprehensive cyber risk management programs that address cyber risk at the C-level and board level and that specifically address third-party risk. CrowdStrike retracts some aspects of its Ukrainian artillery hacking report, but not its core findings concerning Agent X malware. The retractions generally walked back claims of heavy losses sustained by Ukrainian D-30 gun batteries during fighting with Russian forces in the Donbass, unsurprising given the notorious difficulty of battle damage assessment. They also clarified misunderstandings about claims that Ukrainian units had been forced to fire on one another. That didn't happen. But they do stand by their claim that a fire direction app was compromised to reveal general position information about Ukrainian fire units and that the malware was a fancy bear production. Finally, two deadlines expire April 7th, which is less than two weeks away. 
The Turkish crime family says it's going to wipe hundreds of millions of iOS devices unless Apple pays ransom. Apple says the threat's a lot of hooey, and pretty much everyone agrees. And Anonymous will run its annual Op Israel against various online targets in the Jewish state. Op Israel has traditionally been a fizzle that fails to rise beyond the level of low-grade nuisance, but Israeli authorities warn people to be on their guard nonetheless. So be on the alert, but hope to be pleasantly disappointed. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Avas Rashid. He heads the Academic Center of Excellence in Cybersecurity Research at Lancaster University. Uh, Professor, welcome back. Uh, I know today you wanted to touch on um, some things with social engineering and open source intelligence. Thank you very much. Uh, the key challenge at the moment is that a lot of us use uh, social media, online social media, so the likes of Facebook, Twitter, Google+, uh, and so on. And inadvertently, people expose a lot of information online, which can make it a lot easier for attackers to craft uh, social engineering attacks. So, for example, very targeted uh, spear phishing attacks. What can what can normally happen is that an at- attacker can um, harvest uh, an employee's information and use that as a uh, basis to craft a very targeted attack. Things that, for example. Um, provide the interesting hooks which would encourage someone to click on an embedded link or an attachment that will enable download of malware. Yeah, I saw a story not too long ago about uh, someone who got uh, hit because he had an interest in classic cars. 
and uh, the the bad guys were able to craft a message that it hit him exactly where his interest was and get him to click through to something. Uh, absolutely, and that, that's how, for example, uh, RSA were breached. It was a very simple social engineering email. But the interesting thing is that with the uh, with the power of, of uh, computational tools that we now have at our disposal, we, we can do positive things, but they can also be used by attackers. So we have recently, for instance, done some work where we have actually demonstrated that you can automatically identify the employees of an organization using only information which is visible to a remote attacker as a member of the public. So you don't need to be listed on the organization's website uh, for you to be detected uh, as a member of that organization. For example, most employees would tend to follow the organization that they are part of on, on Twitter or another social network. But then what you can do is you can actually potentially link the uh, profiles of uh, such people across different social networks. So you can extract further information about them to make your make your attacks really, really sophisticated and providing those those really good hooks that will uh, encourage someone to uh, click on embedded links or download malware. So how do people find the balance between, you know, going on, leading their day-to-day lives and, and enjoying all the benefits of social media, but also protecting themselves and their organizations? I think there are multiple ways that this can be done. Uh, individuals can be more uh, cautious and vigilant about it themselves as to what kind of information do they expose. Uh, or very often, keeping separate accounts for personal and professional use can be a very useful thing. But also organizations themselves can take active measures by trying to identify what kind of information about them or their employees is visible outside. This is not in terms of any punitive measures against employees. It's more about trying to understand what kind of information can be out there that can potentially be targeted and in some ways use that information to, for example, educate employees about not revealing uh, certain types of information that may make it make them more prone to such attacks. Professor Avas Rashid, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.